Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a speaker, a coach, and a published author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will share tips, tools, and strategies used by our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in their lives. I am on a mission to educate, empower, and inspire you to see that when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive right in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. Before we jump into the call today, I wanted to share something with you. We are launching a brand new program in the beginning of February, only a couple weeks away, and it is called Building My Lemonade Stand. And that might sound like a really different title of a program, but what we're doing is over the next four months, we are connecting with a group of women. We have 10 spots total. We have four taken already, so it definitely is opening up and filling up, which is awesome. We've been doing calls from people from all over the world, and the reason why people are resonating with this title is the fact that we all have the opportunity to build a lemonade stand. A lemonade stand is where we take our story and we truly share the lessons that we learned on the journey to impact others. And it might be through coaching, speaking, or writing, or all of the above. So what we're doing is we're working with these women in really closely over the next four months to help them launch their business and get it off the ground by sharing their story. And it is just so exciting to see these women step into this role and use their story to impact others. So if this sounds like something that you are wondering, like maybe this is for me, or I'm interested please click the link in the show notes and you can schedule a time to connect with me and we can chat and see if it is a good fit for you. Or you can reach out to me at Marsha at MarshaVanW.com. This is going to be an incredible opportunity to work together, link arms, collaborate together, and I can help you with the lessons that I have learned on how to get a difficult message out into the world, and along the way, just watch the people that it can impact. It is just such a beautiful thing, so I would love to have you join me on this journey. If it speaks to you, click the link, and we will definitely connect. Connect. Welcome to another new episode, and today we are going to connect with Jasmine Ray. Jasmine is a 21-year-old from California who has one incredible story for a 21-year-old. She's exactly what this podcast is about. She sets the example of what happens when you own your choices, you truly own your life. She's completely turned her life around and is using her story to impact the lives of others by showing up, not hiding, and being real. She is a personal trainer, a youth public speaker, an entrepreneur, and a future neurosurgeon. Yes, I said that right. She offers personal training for outpatient and inpatient patient teens who are in recovery. As a former alcoholic, she shares her story and how low it got and what she is doing with it now. Honestly, I just, I am so grateful that our paths connected and I was able to meet someone as impactful as Jasmine at 21 years old. So I hope you love this this episode as much as I loved the conversation. Sit back and enjoy. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. 
Today, I have an incredible guest, and it has taken us a while to connect, and it is going to be well worth it. Her name is Jasmine Ray, and she just has a story that I could have just continued listening to before we even hit record. It's <laughs> phenomenal. It is phenomenal. So I am so happy to have you here today, Jasmine. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very happy that we finally connected. I'm excited. Oh. You know, this is, this is a, this won't make sense until you listen to the whole thing, but for people who are listening, the power of calling out like what it is that you are trying to do, who you are connecting with. I mean, Jasmine and I didn't, we haven't met. This is, was through a, a mutual friend who connected us, who met briefly and said, you definitely need to interview her. So this is the beauty, honestly, social media, when it's used properly and you really yes. call out what it is that you're looking to do. There are people everywhere, and I am just already blown away by your story, so I cannot wait to dive into it. So, Jasmine, <laughs> how old are you? I am 21 years old. Okay, 21 years old. Where are you from? I'm originally, well, I was born in Plymouth, Indiana. Okay. We moved to Kansas for my mom's job, mm -hmm. and I just recently moved to Southern California. Oh, nice. What part of California? Uh, Southern California, so I'm about 30 minutes north of San Diego. Okay. All right. So I'm in Ontario, Canada right now, and I can promise you I look outside. It does not look like California. Even if there were palm trees, it still doesn't look like it with the snow and everything that's there. It's all good. Oh, but I love California. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. You are, how long have you been there in California? I've been here actually since October. Okay. About so, three months. Okay. So not too long. Yeah. Okay. What, are you a reader? Yes. What's your favorite book or a book that made an impact on you? Change Your Brain, Change Your Life uh, by Dr. Daniel Amen. Okay. Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Um, I've read it seven times. Are you serious? I could probably recite it from the front to the back. <laughs> okay. So now I even have a more clear picture of you and everything as I mean, <laughs> our first discussion, which we'll get into. Don't worry. Um, your favorite mentor, mentor or somebody who's made an impact on your life or somebody who has, I mean, you already talked about that, but change your thinking, something that somebody who really made a difference. It would probably be my addictions counselor. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, which we're going to get into your, uh, can you tell me what is it that lights you up the most? Seeing people find themselves or just trusting themselves again, because you just, you can see the change in their eyes. And, um, you know, with the type of work that I do, mm -hmm. you relate to them and they're like, oh my God, I'm not the only one, you know, and then they become themselves again. Uh, I love watching that. Okay. That's beautiful. Because I think that's the thing is, is that as we, as we go through life, and especially I'm going to say as we're coming into Jan in January, the month of January right now, a lot of people go into this. I have to reinvent myself. I've got to change everything. I've got to do everything. I really believe, and I found this quote the other day, and I think it was Emily McDowell. And it, it's a long quote, but it's a fact of that, you know, everything you have gotten through in your life, you've done. So you don't yes. need to reinvent yourself. You have to get back to yourself. You have to go yes. back to who you are, listen to your instincts, be able to listen to the voice. And that really resonated with me because I seem to be just so many people right now, I've got to change everything. I'm like, I think I have to change everything. Maybe I actually have to stop doing certain things. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. So I just, that's, that's awesome. So you're 21 years old, right? Yes. 21 years old. You have lived more in your lifetime than most people have lived. Yes. I, I mean, in their entire lifetime. So let's just start a little bit. Take me back to maybe what has brought you to where you are now. You can start wherever you want in your story and we'll yeah. dive into what you're doing now, what you're doing further forward. But take us back to a little bit about life did not always look like this. Yeah. So, um, I started off, you know, very bright kid, very bright, happy kid. Mm -hmm. Um, extremely adventurous. I'd love to try anything. It doesn't matter if nobody ever tried it. I wanted to do it just to see what would happen. And, um, I started, let's see about elementary school. I started to experience some bullying. There is, um, times where I'd come home and I'd be crying myself to sleep. And then, um, you know, just because of the way my mom is, I kind of held it together and moved on to middle school. Mm -hmm. um, middle school, I kind of just, I didn't show as much emotion. You could kind of see that my emotion kind of started to draw away and mm -hmm. less and less of my personality started to show. Um, it showed at home where I was comfortable, but you know, yeah. as soon as I'd leave my home, m my personality was almost just not there. And so um, by the time I hit eighth grade, I started hanging out with someone a little bit more outside of who I normally hang out with because I played six different sports, straight A student, honor rolls, advanced classes, everything like that. Um, I actually started studying French and Spanish at the same time. And uh, wow. Yeah, I, I started hanging out with someone a little bit outside of that type of zone, someone that didn't care too much about school, someone that kind of already had uh, some problems that I didn't know really were a thing. Mm -hmm. And so by the summer of going into high school uh, is when I actually started drinking. So I started drinking at the age of 13. Okay. And so I had ditched everybody to hang out with this girl because this girl was going to get me friends. I was going to stop being bullied. I was going to feel better about myself. I was going to be included because she knew everybody. Mm -hmm. And so um, by the very first quarter a freshman year, I had failed every single class. I quit going to school. I literally dropped every single person that I knew. And it just completely went downhill from there. I mean, it was like in those short few weeks, boom, dropped everything, everything. So you put and, in perspective, uh, we're talking like a few months, really. Like it's a, like from oh, the yeah. point of ending um, grade eight, going into high school in that first yeah term losing that so in a span of like six months your life yep. completely changed yes straight downhill and uh the teachers and uh counselors and everything actually noticed but by the time that they had approached me i was already you know everything that i was bottling up about being bullied and the way that i felt and um kind of the way that my mom was towards me you know all of that was coming out and drinking and yeah. so you know I, I would drink and i would get really really angry and so, you know, whenever somebody tried to approach me helping me, I saw it as an attack. So I would just outlash. And so I didn't want to keep, you know, having teachers call me out, you know, saying, hey, we noticed, you know, you're a really good student. Like, what happened? Why are you not at school? What's going on? Why are you so angry? Why are you flipping out in class? And I just wouldn't go. I just quit going because I didn't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And I saw them as like, they're attacking me. I didn't see it as these people are trying to stop me mm -hmm. from the decisions I'm about to make. 
Well, you, I mean, it just correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you were, you found like a, a band-aid temporary solution to your feelings. That's what I thought I was doing. Right? I thought what I was doing was fixing it. Yeah. No, but you're like, it, it's put in perspective, right? You're 14 at that time. And you think that you have a solution and you, even if you don't think you have a solution, you feel better, right? Like it's, yeah. it's helping you to feel better. So now all of a sudden you get people who step in to try and help you and you perceive that as they're going to take away the only thing that's working. This is yeah. makes me feel better. And, and I thought I was going to get in trouble first. Yeah. So like, I'm going to get in a bunch of trouble. And what does, what does, okay. So I know that that leads into other things. So you just, to avoid the trouble, you just decided to stop going to school. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would show up school sometimes, but yeah. the minute I saw a principal or any type of authority figure, I would just walk out. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't deal with anything. You know, I, I was getting into fights at school. I was threatening teachers, yeah. um, you know, and then actually on my 14th birthday, this is really when it started. Like, this is really like when it started like the worst, the worst, you know, actually on my 14th birthday, I woke up, I pulled a bottle of Captain Morgan out from underneath my bed. Yep. Drank half of it. You know, I had, I puked obviously because I just drank that on an empty stomach, got ready for bed. And I took a fifth of whiskey to me with me to high school. Uh, and yeah. so that's, that's what I was doing. And you know, there's, it's, it strikes me how many people actually noticed that I did that because I have people when I lived in Kansas who would come up to me and say, Hey, Jasmine, how's, how's it going? And I'd be like, how do you know what my name is? And so they'd be like, we went to high school together. We, we had class together every single day. And I'd be like, I have no idea who you are. Oh my God. Like we literally walked to class with you every single day. And I had no recollection of who this person was. To this day, I still, like, I know them now because they told me now what their name is. Yeah. I don't remember them at all. So do you think that that stage, you just, like, you literally went through the motions and almost, I, I hate to say numbed out, but it's just the one thing that's coming to mind, right? We, it's like, it's just, you just become so perpetually numb. But as we know, when you're numb yeah. to one, you can't be numb to one, all emotions. You're numb. You can't be numb to a specific one, right? Once you're numb to one, you're numb to all. And so yeah. maybe that was a time where that's literally just how you were surviving. Yeah. And I didn't think for some reason I had it in my head. Like I kept telling myself like, Oh, like it's not going to matter after I turn 18, I'm not going to live past 21. So it's really not going to matter. Like I'm going to be gone before all this, you know, even really matters. Once I'm a adult, all this is going to go away. And, you know, I, I was literally telling people at parties, like, hey, I, I think I'm going to die at 21 as if it, that was a normal conversation. And because for you, it was, that's where your brain was, right? That's where you were thinking. Yeah. And, um, you're not even close to that at 21 right now, because I can yeah, see it like, in you, like you guys can see her and she's just like full of life and vibrant with what she has. Yeah. So it's, it's tells you a little bit of picture of where your mindset was at that time. Right. I literally from, if, if I was not drinking, I was praying for death. I would mm -hmm. literally literally be on my knees praying for death waiting for all of this to be over because you know when I would you know be under the influence and get arrested I would be so ashamed of yeah. what I did because I know that wasn't me deep down inside but I didn't how was I supposed to explain that to a judge and a police officer well and, and so yeah I no. was just wow. I was humiliated mm -hmm. so I just kept drinking because I didn't want to deal with it didn't want to deal with it mm -hmm. didn't want to deal with it and I was like i there's, I can't keep doing this. 
I, you know what, and I just want to pause for a second here. I want people to understand when you are dealing with shame and shame is driving the wheel, like when you give it the wheel, I promise you nothing will change. Like nothing will change in your life when shame is driving that wheel because it's, you don't dare want to say anything. You don't want anyone to know what's going on, which I mean, for the most part, everybody knows anyways. Like they can, yeah. you think it's a secret. It's not a secret. I, right. I thought things were a secret. They were not even close to a secret. And so shame drives that wheel, which keeps you stuck in that, stuck in the cog wheel, stuck with the anchor, whatever way you want to call it. So it has, there has to be a pattern break there somewhere where like eventually shame does not drive the wheel. And the thing is, is that the, one of the things that stops shame, like shame loves secrecy. It loves it. That's how it just keeps growing. But when you put a voice to it, it can't live. So how did you get, I'm sure there's a tons of steps in between there, but, um, you mentioned, let me back up. So how you got to shame, how you got to letting go of that shame, but how many times, like, what was your youngest age you were arrested? 13. 13. Do you I mind sharing? Well, okay. Uh, I served nine months. Nine months at 13. Okay. Do you mind me asking what it was for? Um, that one's actually, that one's a touchy, touchy. Subject. Okay. Then That's you, actually one that. of the worst. It's okay. So 13 years old. So now the difference is for anybody listening, like we're talking Canada and the States. Okay. Cause Jasmine's in the States. Um, Canada is very different. And I can say this cause I've known this firsthand and experienced. Okay. It's very strict. It, it is and it isn't. So under, so 12, like 14 to 18, um, depends on what the, what we went through and stuff is that there was like the repercussions were like, like depends on what it was and depend on, on the class of drug or depend on what they had done with that. Um, some of it, to be honest, was an absolute joke as far as what they, and they knew it, like the kids knew it, it was a joke. And that doesn't really set anybody else up for success because all of a sudden when you are 18 and you're now an adult and it's like, yeah, you remember when we had to like write a sorry letter for what you just did? Well, now they just go to jail. Like it's, that's not a learning. There's that's yeah. a ridiculous path to learn. And we kind of had somewhat of the same thing. So Kansas, where I'm from, is actually there's six of the most strict states in the United States and Kansas is actually one of them. Okay. So now they would hand you the charge like no other, but the juvenile correctional facility uh, system was a joke. Yes. It does not yes. that, that place. And I, I've actually spoken to the juvenile correctional facility director and I told her, I said, Hey, um, you know, I just, I, I just wanted to let you know. And I, I told her, you know, where I'd come from, what I'm doing now, the reason why I'm reaching out to her in the first place. Um, I said, this, this program doesn't teach you anything. This no. is the reason why you have those same kids going to jail. Like I did. Well, I can't tell you, I'm sure you know this, but for the amount of times we were in court and dealing with things with our own kids, it was the same kids every time. I'm sorry. It was the same kid. I can say that because it was yeah. mine too. It was the same kids every single time. And you're looking at it going, okay, who is not picking up on this pattern here? Like it is literally the same ones. And yeah. so something isn't working with the way that that system was done. Yeah. So you first arrest, first arrested at 13. How many more times did you go through that process? seven seven did each one get escalatingly more serious with your consequences yeah because um so what we i'm not sure how it works in canada but after each time you're released you either go on diversion probation or intensive supervision pro probation yeah. um 
And so I basically you have a set amount of terms and you're supposed to follow them. If you break these, it's a lot more strict as a juvenile because obviously you're a kid. So they have more rules to enforce on you, but um, I would break the rules nonstop. And Mm -hmm. when you break the rules, they put you right back in jail. You got to sign the paperwork and you got to start all over again. Yeah. So it was just, and then by the time I was 16 and I I had the same judge every time by the time I was 16, um, and, and the corrections officers and judges are not very nice. They don't say things that make you want to stop. Now, what they would say to me is that I don't fit in to the type of crowd that's going to jail. They said mm-hmm. that I could, the way that I spoke was smarter and I yeah. looked like I cared about my education. So they kept asking me, what are you doing? But since I kept coming back, they stopped being nice. Now, um, when I was 16, this is the last time I got in trouble as a juvenile. Um, when I saw this judge, he said, you are a disgrace to this community. You do not belong here. You do not belong living amongst all of us. I don't feel safe with you out, you know, in my community. And if I see your face again, I will put you in jail until you're 22 and a half. So, okay. This, wow. Is all I can say. First of all, second, yeah. does that make you want to change? That made me feel like a piece of crap. Okay, so let's just, that's, that's why I wanted to ask that because I, I don't know how that would make anyone want to change. I mean, we obviously, you have to be in a spot for anybody to create any change, whether we're talking about addiction or whatever. You have to be in a space that you believe that you could do more, that like you, mm-hmm. there is a possibility, you do have something within you. Those words, that's not going to do it. Um, oh, yes. I understand they're probably frustrated. I get that. But that's not like that's not going to create change. I don't know what would, but I'm just saying that's like I, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. especially for a 16 year old, that I mean, all it made me do was not get caught. I kept doing the same thing. Get smarter. Didn't get caught. Get smarter. Yeah. yeah. Until yeah, I said the same thing. Um, you know, by the time I was 18, I got two DUIs back to back within a month apart, and wow. I had people in the car with me both times. Wow. Okay. Now so, that's not my only instance, and and the sad thing about this is. Um, there's, I should have two or even three times the amount of charges that I have, mm-hmm. but because our particular police department is actually very kind yes. and, um, most police departments are, but they, they gave me way more chances than I think I deserved. And, um, I actually totaled a car at 13 drinking and driving. Yeah. I totaled a car at 16 drinking and driving. Yep. And then I got two DUIs back to back at 18. And I had people in the car with me every single time. It, and there's no, I, first off, I need you to know that. I know you know that there's zero judgment on any of like, there's none. This is just really important to share this because I think, you know, getting to this stage and getting to that point in your life, um, it takes a it, it takes a lot of warnings a lot, for some people, a lot of warnings, a lot of things that go wrong could potentially go wrong. Sometimes it has to be a point where there is somebody who is killed, somebody who is, because it just, or even then it might not happen. I don't know. I just um, wasn't learning. Nothing else yeah. was, was hitting me. Yeah. It's, I can, I can tell you firsthand that I watched that firsthand with um, my own. And the fact that it was just, there was nothing that was changing. There was no change happening whatsoever. And so you're just constantly like just banging your head against the wall over and over praying for something to change. And here's the thing as a parent, it's, and this sounds awful, but you get to play a space where it's like, you just pray that something's going to happen. That's going to create 
a change because the change isn't going to come from me. It wasn't going to come from a parent. It's not, I mean, it wasn't even coming from police. So it's like something had to happen that hit them in a spot that decided to change. So what was that for you? Like, what was the moment where you're like, this is not how my life is going to go anymore? Um, well, since I'm in school to become a surgeon, I'm going to have to explain every single one of those charges, even though my academic record um, outside of me getting my GED is absolutely stellar. Yeah. I am now at a much, much lower chance than everybody else. I have to work twice as hard as everybody else to even prove that I deserve to be there. And so when I woke up in jail for my second DUI, I was at like 18, 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I am sick and tired of this. I'm sick of waking up ashamed, feeling like crap, looking like crap, having to face the same people that I saw when I was drunk now sober, and then trying to figure out what I even did to get here in the first place, and then having to explain that to my parents. And so, you know, because, you know, there was a point where my my stepdad, I've known my stepdad since I was five. And so, um, you know, my biological father, my biological father, you know, while he was still alive, told my stepdad, I can't take care of her. So I need you to take care of her. Mm -hmm. And so his family started to say that I was the reason why they had so many problems. I was a disappointment. You know, they should, they, they shouldn't accept me as a child pretty much. And so I was just like, I was just tired of the humiliation. And I was Mm -hmm. like, a, if I get another one, I cannot become a doctor because I don't know what's going to happen on the next one. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I did not hurt anybody. Yes. Um, you know, cause I, I, I could be in jail right now for the rest of my life for killing somebody, mm-hmm. or I could not be here because I killed myself. Right. And so I was just, it, it's more of like, I was just so fed up with dealing with that same situation over and over and over and over. Yeah. Where I was like, this is, this is where I stop. I deleted all social media. I stopped talking to everybody. You couldn't contact me unless you were a family member. Yeah. I did not listen to music. All I did was read books and I started listening to podcasts. And that's literally all I did for straight two and a half years up until now, literally up until now, that's all I've done. I did not recreate social media until November, 2017. Wow. And I mean, I, we will put that information in there, but honestly, like I've read a couple of your posts. You're one heck of a writer. You are one heck of a writer. You really are. You're one heck of a writer. And it's definitely one of your ways of sharing your message. It really is. So yeah, you're definitely one heck of a writer. I would not squash any of that. So you decide you're going to create change. You decide that my life is not going to look like this anymore. And you spend the next two and a half years putting good information in. And I just, I want to back up one second because anybody who's listening to it, they're going to say, did she say neurosurgeon? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I get that a lot. Yeah. I need to back up a little bit. Because here's somebody, I mean, obviously potential, like obviously massive, massive potential, not feeling like you have any to give, but there is a piece of you that is obviously holding on going, I know there's something more for you. And I'm fascinated by medicine and I'm fascinated by um, the brain. We talked a lot about the brain before we even hit record, you know, I'm fascinated by those things. So that part of you obviously was strong enough that it wanted something different for your life as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the thing is that that book that I told you about, I actually mm-hmm. read it while I was serving one of my jail sentences. Wow. And I just, I was just, I walked downstairs, looked on the bookshelf, saw the word brain. I was like, I'm going to read this book. I don't even know what it's about, but I see the word oh. brain. And 
it's an incredible book. And when I got out, I just kept reading it and reading it. And I was like, this, it, based off of what was in that book. So pretty much he talks about um, different types of addiction and anxiety and depression and Mm -hmm. uh, what that looks like in the brain. And so um, it made me stay sober because I was like, I want to study this and I want to know, I want to know, like, does my brain look like that? Like, did I do that to myself? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I like, how am I going to, you know, succeed in medical school if that's what I did to myself if that's how I damaged myself because I didn't have any physical you know right. issues right I didn't have like the skin problems you yeah know, I didn't I didn't have any of that but then when I looked at these brain scans about different types of addictions and the way that certain drugs affect you I was like oh did I do that to myself and so I was like I don't I don't want that either right. and so um wow. yeah that that book really like me, you know, really, really, really wanting to be a surgeon because that's all I've ever wanted to be my entire life. And, you know, I actually um, became a little bit suicidal after I got out because I was telling my grandma, I was like, I just ruined my medical career. Yeah. Why would I do that? And so that just, that, that book helped a lot too. I cannot wait to read that myself. I really can't. Um, You made a mention that you still have, like you have that record. You will have to explain it every time that you go. I'm sure like, and I'm going to, now I'm going to sound like a mom for a second, but I'm (laughs) sure that you are like, that is like, that is a label that is going to keep coming with me. But I think what's incredible is you're using that label in a way that is a fuel and is in a way that is like, I, you're, you're proof positive that you can change whatever you want if you decide to, right. Which is essentially, so I'm sure that it's hardly a sense that you still have that label, but I think that if, if there's anybody who's going to be able to use that label to an advantage to impact others, I completely think it's you. And the thing is, is I was not, I was so incredibly ashamed of myself that I didn't even tell anybody I had a criminal record until like February of 2018. Yeah. Nobody even knew. I hid that from everyone. Yeah. And I, I started to look at what can I do with this? I was like, there's no way that I can keep getting denied from job after job after job after job and just be, you know, employers, you know, where you're having an incredible conversation, then your background pulls up and they're like, oh my God, what the heck? And then I'm like, okay, well, that was embarrassing. And then I don't get it's a done. job. Yeah, and so I'm done. like, I have got to be able to do something for myself where I don't have to hide this mm-hmm. and I don't feel like crap about myself. So I was like, I, I'm going to have to talk about it and find something else. So you found a way, like you completely put the voice to shame so that see what, and, and literally put the voice to shame. And so that, that what it does, right? It shifts. I always say there's a shift in power. When you learn how to, um, let go of the hold of shame. There's a shift in power. It's not about power in that you have power over something. It's about empowering you again and giving that shift back to you so that you can do something with it. So by speaking of it and sharing that, that becomes a, um, there's a twofold thing here that becomes a shift in the power and you start to feel stronger. The second thing that I really, um, that I write, I wrote a lot about in my book. And I just think it's important to ask this question here is that, you know, it's shame. It goes hand in hand with shame. The fear of judgment of others prevents us from living and, and, and our life as it is and doing something with it. 
And yeah. I really struggled with this forever. I mean, honestly, I really did. Um, because I had people who were just downright awful, nasty, cruel, say things that I'm like, I okay, I mean, yeah, like yeah. I wouldn't say, you know, horrible things. And and I'm not angry at anybody because people just did the best that they could. They didn't know what to do. I always say I lived in it, I didn't know what to do, so I can't judge other people. Yeah. But the fear of judgment of others stopped me from doing a lot of things. And even to the point that after my book was published, people would say, what is your book about? I'm like, oh, it's a book about a mom. And, and it would just, <laughs> just yeah, kind of like, go around it. <laughs> I go around it and around it. And finally, I'm like, this is ridiculous. You are allowing others to judge because you're doing it. And yeah. then it became a case of no. Oh, my book, my book is about a parent. I was a mom dealing with teen substance abuse. You want to hear a room go quiet? People are like, what? Like, yep, just, exactly. You throw it out there. So, did you find that as you started to share your story, that it just got a little bit easier and a little bit easier, and you weren't attached to it defining you? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, especially with, um, you know, I started doing youth public speaking, and my very, very, very first speech, they put me in front of 250 students, <gasps> and I was wow. like, okay, then, well, we're just gonna have to own it now, and so. I've been just owning it a little bit better and a little bit better and, you know, gotten to the point where I'm pitching myself out to other people and I'm confident in saying what exactly my speech is about. Because at first it was like, oh, you know, teaching students how to be fit when they're young. <laughs> when it's so much more than that. It, right? <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to infer it and they're going to figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I, that is, that is phenomenal. I mean, I've, I've said it and I mean it like as a 21 year old, honestly, like you have got a different mindset and maturity that a lot of people don't have. And I'm sure it's because you've lived lifetimes in your years. Like you have lived massive lifetimes. Yeah. So you now have taken that piece. You have, you're speaking about it. Tell us what you're doing now. You've hinted a little bit about it, but tell us a little yeah. more specifically about what you're doing with your story. Yeah. So, um, a huge part of me, um, staying sober to this day was getting into fitness. And, um, mm -hmm. I first got into fitness when I was 16 years old. Um, okay. I was still drinking then, but what I didn't realize is that period of when I really took my fitness seriously, I stopped drinking and I stopped hanging out with certain people and I stopped getting in trouble. But yeah. then I took on a job, um, because I was in college by 16, you know, I got my GED and I, I took on a harder job and I could take that job on uh, because I was in, enrolled in high school. So the child labor laws didn't apply to me. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I got really stressed out again and then my drinking just took another turn. And yeah. so I stopped working out, but then I really got back into it when I cut everybody off when I was 18 and had that second DUI. And I was like, huh, some, there seems to be a, yeah. I was like, there seems to be a pattern here. Yeah. And so then, um, I, I started training and when I was first training clients, like it was kind of funny because they could tell there wasn't quite something I was telling them, like when they were trying to get to know me. And oh, yeah. then, um, you know, going back to where I wanted to be able to do something where I didn't have to hide my criminal record. Um, it popped into my head. I was like, why don't I teach fitness to teens who went through the same thing as I did to get them out of this, to stop certain behaviors so that they can feel better about themselves. Cause really, you know, Yes, do we try things out of curiosity, but what's your emotional state at the time that you try it? Because right. mine was very, very, very poor and I had very poor self-image. And so mm -hmm. I think that also played a part in me falling so heavily into it. And so I was just like, I just want to try it. I just want to see what happens. And so um, I opened up my own personal training business 
And I do specialize in women's fitness, but I also specialize in at-risk youth. And so um, I go to high schools and I do public speaking where I tell them, you know, one of the stories that I have is uh, when I was 14 years old, I decided to do acid for who knows what reason. And um, I was on house arrest and um, I walked too far away from the house and it alerted the police officer. And I actually assaulted this police officer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you tell a student you assaulted a police officer and you're going to school to become a surgeon, they're like, what did she just say in one sentence? Like, what the heck? Is that even possible? (laughs) And so. Does she have any idea what she's saying? yeah. Yeah. They're like, what? And so the room goes quiet and I have their full attention for the entire hour and 30 minutes. And I kid you not, I've seen some of the most hardworking teens as soon as I get done with that speech. And I'm like, that teen right there is going through exactly what I'm talking about. And so as much as when I first started speaking, it humiliated me. Once I realized, because after my first speech with those 250 students, this, um, you know, beautiful young girl came up to me and she said, I feel like this is a sign because I just tried to kill myself last night. Oh gosh. And she started crying and I just hugged her and I was like, and she was the hardest working student in the room. Oh yeah. No, no. It, and this so is, like, you're exactly, this, I was like, I was like, I can't stop. I don't care no. if it humiliates me. Like I can't stop doing this. And so built my own personal training business. And I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do public speaking up until I become a surgeon. And I'm probably still going to do it even when I become a surgeon. I, I just want to thank you and honor you for honestly what you're doing. Cause I think that, you know, we as adults can tell kids what to do or not to do. We all know that that's not how it works. Um, and for some kids, we talked about this earlier for some kids, they can try something once and it really is no big deal. And for others, they try it once and they'll do whatever they can do to get it again. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way it works. It's the way we are wired. It's the way it's not an excuse. It's just, it's just a fact. I believe it's a fact. Um, and so the fact that you are doing something with your story and I really deep down believe, teach, coach, speak about this, that our stories happen to us for a reason. We can choose to do something with them. When we choose to do something with them, we can make a massive, massive impact in the world that the world needs. And these kids need because even, I mean, I even think of people who come forward and share their stories, but they're adults. It's taken them years to do that. Like you're just outside of their age bracket. So it must be that much more impactful for them. Yeah. And I mean, um, by the end of, cause I have two more speeches scheduled for January and by the end of January, I will have taught 1500 students and, um, each class period, at least three to five students have come up to me individually one-on-one yeah. to tell me their personal story and how they don't know where to go next. And mm-hmm. they're like, uh, you know, what gyms could I get into at this age? What do I need to do at this age? And, you know, just, the actual interest they had in fitness. Once I told them, it's not all about how you look. No, this no. guy, I, I wasn't even concerned about how it looked. I was just so irritated where I just wanted to do something to get that out. Right. That's why I kept going. And so I told them, it's not all about looks. It's literally how you feel because when you feel like crap, you're not going to do a whole lot of nice things, especially not to other people. And oh. so they, I mean, just their level of interest was just amazing to me. Cause I was like, and some of the questions that they would ask, I was like, I didn't realize you weren't learning this in your high school fitness class. Like, I, There's some questions where they're like, what am I supposed to even eat? And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> it's, it's not common knowledge. And it, it really isn't. I mean, I didn't even whole, know that. 
No, there's a whole lot of factors that are involved, right? Like, I mean, we've got, it's in, it's, that could be another whole podcast, but a lot of factors involved in that. Like I, I work with adults, like grown adults who don't have a clue what to eat on a regular basis. And they, they don't understand why, like, why, why am I gaining weight? Why is this, why is my health not good? I'm like, really? Like you don't, yeah. but they don't, it's not common knowledge. So if adults aren't knowing and kids aren't knowing, and plus at the same time, in all fairness, there's so much information out there that people think it's confusing. It's, it's very confusing. They don't know what to do next and, and it gets into all of them. So they go back to what they know. Right. And yeah. so you're, you're hitting a whole lot of targets there for them. But I think at the very least you are, you are showing them what can be possible. And I, I just think that is fantastic because it's just not being done. And this is, I really am a strong believer that there's, we need to put a voice to these kinds of topics and yeah. they lose their power. We realize we're not alone. We realize we can do something with our stories. We can set an example for other people. I mean, there's just so many good things that can come from it that staying silent does nothing. So why not yeah. do something with it? Exactly. It's um, my whole thing is uh, I'm telling them, you know, you know, anything that I say, you know, I might sound like I'm being mean, but I don't want you to make a mistake that you cannot take back right. a mistake where you either kill someone and you're in jail for the rest of your life or yeah. you kill yourself and yeah. you don't have a life to live anymore. Like we're supposed to live until we're like in our nineties. Mm-hmm. And like this, like it seems so bad right now, but I'm asking you to literally just try walking outside for 30 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. I don't even care if that's literally the only thing you do. Wow. And they just, I just, you, you always think teens are so like, I mean, really, we are stubborn and don't listen to anything that you have to say, but just the attention that I had from them was just incredible. And so I was just like, I'm not going to stop doing this. I just, I honestly, I admire you for that. I I think it's fantastic. And I think you're setting an incredible example and living a life and doing something with your life that some people will go their whole lifetime and not do. Like they're really making an impact in the lives of others. I, I tell you, it's one of the best ways that I got out of my own head and stopped being held by my own story was what can I do to make a difference for others? It just, Mm -hmm. honestly, it helped me to shift my energy and realize that like, this problem is way bigger than me. It's just way bigger than me. Yeah. So I just, I can't thank you enough for that. I honestly do. I appreciate it. Oh, how do people find you and connect with you and tell us a little bit about the shirts and what you're doing? So I do um, have apparel and I have shirts that say Ray of Hope Fitness, which is the name of my business, yeah. uh, personal training business and what I do my public speaking out of. Um, but you can find me on Instagram at jasmine.rayofhope. Mm-hmm. Or if you search the same thing on Facebook, you'll find Jasmine Ray, which is my name on Facebook as well. Yeah. And it's R-A-E. We will put that in, right? It's R-A-E, yes. not R-A-Y, R-A-E. just so people yes. are looking. Yes. R-A-E. Um, I am going to ask you two questions to yeah. wrap up. Um, what is one message that you would like to go back and tell your younger self? It can be at any year, any time, any message. Just be weird. Like, don't try and fit in. Like I was such, like the amount of information I knew at my age was weird. I was just like the female Steve Urkel. I wish I would have just stayed weird stayed in my own little zone that I had and not cared so much about trying to fit in. Oh, I cared too much about the amount of friends that I had rather than yeah. the quality. Well, and it's, we always, I think you, I don't know the exact saying or exact quote, but it's like, if you can count all of your closest friends, the people who would be there for you, if you needed it on one hand, like you're rich, like you don't yeah. need 
to have. But I get in this time of social media and this time of, you know, oh my goodness, teens yeah. and the bullying, like it's this, if I'm not, if I'm not invited to this party, then there's something wrong with me. And yeah. I mean, in all honesty, like I grew up with having way more friends that were boys than girls. Girls were nasty. Like some of them were just nasty. Sorry. Oh man, girls are, they're brutal in high Sorry school. Sorry to stereotype that, but I just have to say, I had a lot more friends. I have great friends now that are girls. I've learned how to have like female friends, but in high school, like, oh, I had a couple and that was it. The rest were just like, what are you doing? Yeah. It was, it was about tearing each other down. And that is not how we, that's not how we should be living. No. Right? No, that's. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then the last question is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Um, self-awareness. Mm -hmm. If I would have never learned that, I don't think I would be here because I, you know, when you grow up in, in a household where you're not allowed to display emotion yeah. that translate to not dealing with other people appropriately. Like I would say things and then wonder why it made somebody upset and be like, what is your problem? You were just so sensitive. And like, they're really not sensitive. They're being normal. Like if you right. say something hurtful, people are going to be hurt. And so, you know, just being very self-aware of what triggers me, what makes me upset, when, when am I upset? Because sometimes, you know, you, you do little things throughout the day that you don't know you're doing because you're upset. And right. so I try and keep that in mind and, you know, just the way that I'm carrying myself and how I'm treating others, like just right. being so self-aware so that I make sure that I'm being the best person that I can be. It just developing self-awareness has helped a lot. I, I just, I've said it. I honestly blow me away because I have adults <laughs> and people my age and older who have like next to little self-awareness. Yeah. So it's mind blowing to me how not just, it's like you are well past your years as far as how you're self-aware and what you're doing with that. But I think that is such a golden lesson right now to leave everyone with is the fact that, you know, you, we get to decide if we're happy. We get to decide if we're doing and listening and, and following joy. We get to decide if we enjoy what we're doing. We get to decide if we want to do something more. Like we do have decisions and we can own those choices. But if we're not aware and we just assume that every day is about being miserable, then we're not even looking for anything else. Exactly. Because this is, I guess, what life is, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not. Everything can change when you decide to change and you decide yeah. to do the work and you obviously, obviously have done the work. So honestly, I yeah. and you, I am so Thank grateful so our paths crossed and what you were doing with your story. It's incredible. Yeah. It really is. And the thing is, I guess it, it's because I, I know how it feels to treat someone really, really poorly. You don't feel any better when you treat someone poorly. You feel just as worse or even more worse. Right. Now, when you treat someone great and you're kind towards them, you feel like uplifted and right. you just feel so much better. And so right. becoming self-aware of even that, like it does, there has not been one situation where putting someone else down has made you feel any better about any type of situation. No. And you know, what's interesting is you said that I do have to say that I'm going to, I'm going to say this is the fact that you can't have self-awareness if you're numbing yourself in life. Mm -hmm. You just true. cannot have self-awareness. Now I want people to understand that's not just talking about alcohol or it's not talking about drugs. 
I know a lot of people that numb out with their phones, with their, like, with whether it's gambling, TV, you know, negative self-talk, negative talk about other people. Got to be able to deal with stuff head on. Oh, there's just zero self-awareness if you are not doing those things first. So yeah, you know what, if I would ask people that if you find yourself, like where in your life are you zoning out? Like, where are you Mm -hmm. numbing out? What are you doing? that is preventing you from feeling and dealing with the feelings that you're having. Because I'll tell you, some of your biggest life lessons are going to be right wrapped up in those, in those moments. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you so much for this time today. I can't even believe this conversation. It's, it's unbelievable. I'm so grateful that we connected and yeah. um, I would gladly be in your corner anytime for what you're, what you're doing and the impact that you're making. It's really literally everything that I um, about and is important to me is that we really own our choices, speak up, use our stories to impact others. I mean, you're doing all of it in the 21. I think it's beautiful. I honestly, yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, the other thing I wanted to, just in case, you know, yeah. you have some people listening from the States or something that some are, uh, aren't aware of, um, but you actually cannot travel into Canada with DUIs. And I was invited to a speech to do um, in Canada. And so I actually have to pay a $700 application fee. That's not refundable to see if they'll even let me speak for a day. So that's one of the other. Yeah. And And they they might not. not. It's it's another thing I'm going to have to, you know, kind of deal with there. Wow. That I I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know any of that would affect traveling. I was Mm -hmm. like, this has nothing to do with that. Nope. <laughs> a lot. Actually, we dealt with this in the, in the reverse order, right? Going to the States. And, um, I just think, I think the thing is, is that when you're, when you're that young, you're not thinking, how does this impact my life? Like, you're just like, like today is Friday and what are we doing tomorrow? Like, it's not even yes. the past, right? You're not thinking that big picture exactly. and that impacts and changes so much and it can change, you know, you can make some really bad decisions as a kid. And then all of a sudden here you are 30, you have a family, you've turned your life around and you like to travel. And it's like, nope, like it's not, yeah, right? So it just, it stays with you. Um, You could also use that as a way to do nothing. And I think you're doing the complete opposite. So I think that that's, yeah, I think it's, I still think it's incredible what you're doing. I really do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we could connect and I really appreciate you having me on your show. I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode because it is honestly, it's unbelievable. And thank you so much, Jasmine, for being here with us today. And thank you. you are more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Until next time, remember, When you own your choices, you truly own your life.